think the only way to get us going is to pray, so let me do that. Father, we thank You for Your perfect control of all of life. We don't have to move the worlds to keep them in place. You continue to sustain and uphold and preserve and keep and purpose Your work in the world. And we thank You that it goes to the minutest thing. We thank You for Your kindness as we understand uh, that for Jared and Ashley, the child is on the way, and uh, we entrust them to you. And thank you for your perfect timing in that. May, uh, may we have soon an opportunity to rejoice in seeing your good hand uh, bring forth a little one. May they both uh, find comfort and peace in you, and we entrust them to you. Even as we do ourselves, as we have the privilege of looking at your word now, would you open it, O God? Would you show us yourself and lift us up in our worship and in our joy of being your children? Thank you for this privilege in Jesus. Amen. We're working our way in this class through uh, the attributes, the characteristics of God. And... um, We have talked about them being communicable, that some of God's attributes or characteristics He shares with us, and some are incommunicable, because He is God, He's the Creator, and we're the creatures, He does not share those with us. There's more to this class, though, than theology. There's more than this class than learning another fact about God. And the purpose as we go through it and look at God, the God who has saved us, the God we worship, is that we would take these attributes and apply them to our lives, see how they affect us. Um, That they would cause us to worship and follow and love and live with our God in even a greater way. The attribute that we're looking at this morning is called sovereignty. Uh, Meaning this, as Jerry Bridges has described it, he says this, God's sovereignty is His absolute rule and control over all events and circumstances of creation. So, as he's made it broad enough to be creation, he's talking about the whole cosmos... And then particularly, you are a part of that. So it's not talking about God just being in control, absolute control of everything around you, but of your own life in particular. Jesus starts there almost in this passage. Turn with me please to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We could go to the psalmist where it says that uh, Jesus and God not only uh, uphold all the stars in their order and the worlds uh, as they go in their revolutions 
and named all the stars, which we, can't, we don't even have a clue how many there are. We don't even know how many galaxies there are in the universe. We know that there's thousands, and in each gal- galaxy we know there's billions of stars. God upholds, takes care of them, keeps them all in their course. And so Bill Mercalli once did a class to, to kind of expand and stretch our minds and, and even trying to think about the whole universe. But in this portion of Scripture, Jesus takes it from that grand uh, design that stretches our minds uh, to infinity and beyond. You know, it's like we, we can't handle that. Jesus brings it home very close with the work that God does in His sovereign control over all things. And He makes it very close and personal. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. He says here, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, I don't have a park where I live, but I have a fairly big yard, and three or four times a year, I'll go out somewhere when I'm cutting the grass or cleaning off the driveway, I'm going to find a dead bird. Right? Has everyone in here found a dead bird at least once in your life? Anybody not found a dead bird? Yeah, there's a lot of dead birds out there, aren't there? But what do we know about their life and their falling to the ground and their dying? What does the scripture tell us about that? It's ordained by God. Yeah, he's a part of that, right? That, that can't happen except by His command and His direction, right? And then He comes to say and point it very closely to us and take it off th- those birds. Everybody's found a dead bird, right? But not all of you have found a dead person in your yard. Right? Thankful for that, aren't you? Right? We're, we're more valuable than that, right? But He says this about us. He says, But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That means ordained how many you will have and how long you will have them. Fear not, therefore are you not more value than many sparrows. So Jesus isn't just going to keep us out there in the universe, but he brings it very, very close home to us. And he says, right now, this day, all those things that are on your to-do list, all those things that keep you up at night, your health... Your heart, your family, your job. He's ruling over them all. There's no such thing as fate or luck or chance. And when we talk that way, we act as if there's no God. We act as the way the world does, that we're being pushed and pulled by what we do or some forces. And here Jesus is bringing it very clearly home, His sovereignty, that He is in absolute control of all things in the universe and in our lives. Now, if you go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and you have that in your hymnal. That's why I told everybody to pick up a hymnal. If you don't have one, you can get one now. And we don't have time to go over all of what the confession would say about the sovereignty of God and His work. 
But out of the out of the many chapters, the thirty-three I think chapters there are in the confession. God has uh, ordained that the divines would take two of the chapters in speaking about God and having to do with His sovereignty, His absolute control. And we're just going to read one section um, of each of these chapters that talk about God's sovereignty and His control. So if you turn to what I believe, I don't know if my hymnal that I had at home exactly matches up to yours, but page 850 you might find... (laughs) Chapter 3, God's Eternal Decree. Is that there for you? Okay. And we're going to read the first paragraph here where uh, the the saints who have gone before us in our Reformed tradition have spoken in in this chapter and then chapter 5, which we'll be looking at, they they describe God's absolute control, His sovereignty over all things. Chapter 3, section 1. God from all eternity did... By the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever, whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so is thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. So it's saying two things here. It's saying that God is control of everything, and He's ordained it from before time begins, but He never forces anybody to do anything that's not natural to them to do. They want to do it anyway. That's their very nature. Uh, They're made that way. And that He sometimes uses His own power directly where He does something. We will find out, if you don't understand, that the weather doesn't happen. We have a good day or a bad day because the weatherman says that. Now, we like, if you watch television, they thank the weatherman for the good day, right? Oh, Joe, thanks for bringing that top ten day. Isn't that goofy? Because when a storm comes, he doesn't take any credit for that, right? So, you know, God does things directly um, to have his will happen. But um, God wanted to bless the Crawfords. Now, he's blessing them directly by bringing his baby today, right? Oh, if you haven't heard that yet, that's what we understand. They're, they're in the midst of that, so that's pretty good timing right after the shower yesterday. So uh, that's God's timing, right? Not ours. We didn't figure that out. All right? So he's doing that directly, but by secondary causes, they were blessed. God ordained to bless them yesterday using secondary causes. Who were the secondary causes? You were! All of you who went and gave to the gift and were there celebrating with her yesterday and and, uh, opening presents and all that, right? God ordained all those things. Sometimes it's perfectly directly by His hand as He has caused this child to come forth now, but sometimes by secondary causes. But He is ordaining all those things. Now, theologically, we call those things, um, we, we call them sometimes this thing. We think first of God's positive will is that God will do all... We'll turn to Psalm 115.3. You'll see it clearly what it says there. That He is always the first cause of everything that happens. He ordains it and it comes to pass. 
That's God's positive will. Psalm 115.3. Who will read that for me? I'd like to see that hand. Ah, thank you, Luke. <laughs> Not very clear, is it? No, it is, isn't it? Thankfully. Our God is in the heavens and He does what He pleases. Now, thankfully, because we've already found out He's holy, everything He always does is without sin. It's always just and right. But God is going to do what He pleases and He has the power to do it. That's God's positive will. But there is God's permissive will where... He ordains that we will do whatever He pleases. Now, we can't do anything we want. We can only do what He pleases and allows us to do. Men can't do all that we purpose to do. I might purpose to dunk a basketball. It ain't going to happen. Alright? It's not part of God's ordained will. I already know that, unless I have a trampoline or something that's going to get me a lot higher off the ground that I do. And so James, we're familiar with this, in the chapter 4, it says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are in the midst of what appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, God's permissive will is that He ordains to allow to happen as the second cause, whatever He pleases. He'll let you do whatever He pleases, not whatever you please. Right? You've purposed to do a lot of things in your life, but they don't always happen. You can only happen if He also allows it. Luke? We're going to get there. Okay? And I'll answer that question, but not now, because I think we're going there. And if I don't answer at the end, if we have time, you can bring it up again. But we're, we're going there, because um, while if you read section 1 there again, God does everything, and so He has to purpose everything, but not so that He would ever sin. Okay? But, he, but people who choose freely to do what they want to do, do sin. But we're going to get there, okay? So, hang with me. Now let's go to chapter 5 of the Confession. This should be on uh, next page over, 8, 851, I think. And here's talking about God's providence. Another word for God's control, His sovereignty. God's providence. We're going to read section 1 again. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. R.C. Sproul would probably sum it up in this way, as I've heard him say before, that uh, if God is God, 
then there is no maverick molecules out there. That if any atom or molecule or nano or whatever it is, smallest to the largest, if they can operate outside the realm of God's ordaining hand, then he is not God. Now, we're going to go to the scriptures. Okay, and I need some volunteers. And you're going to have to read the scripture. No, I'm going to get two volunteers. For each scripture, I'm going to get one that's going to just read it. But the other person, while it's being read, has to think. Now, the reason I do that is I can't always do both. Maybe you are much better than I am. But the other person is thinking about what it's talking about that God is controlling. And so the first person reads it. The second person will report. So I'm going to pick couples, okay? Uh, James, you and your wife get this first one, and you can decide who's going to read and who's going to think, all right? Exodus 4.11. All right? Now, Alicia, I'm going to make you and Mike a couple here just for a few seconds. And, and uh, not for, you're going to get uh, Deuteronomy 32.39. And you have to decide who's going to read and who's going to think. Beatrice? Beatrice, you move over next to Karen there. Okay? And you are going to get uh, Job 37, 5 to 13. And you guys figure out who reads and who thinks. Okay? Of course, we know if you're reading, you're thinking, and all that. But the one who who reads and who reports, how's that? The next one's Isaiah chapter 45, 5 to 7. Anthony, you and your dear wife get this one. All right. Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah 40, 45, 5 to 7. All right. And you get to figure out who reads and who reports. Mr. Lee, you and your wife, get this one. Romans, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Mr. Victor Lee. <laughs> see see which, which Lee, right? Um, Romans 9, 10 through 18. Okay. Yes, Mike. 32, 39. Okay. Now the first couple, who's reading and who's reporting? Okay, Mary's going to read Exodus 4.11. Okay, so we're talking about God's sovereignty over an area of life. Um, that we all are here living in, and, and, and uh, what's the area of life that's being talked about? Uh, talking. talking and? Being. And? Yeah, but also not. Yeah. So it's talking about our abilities and our... Yeah, who's in control of those? The Lord. Okay? Now, there's a lot of people who would like to say, 
something wrong with your child, which none of us want to happen. Oh, that can't be God. God, God couldn't have made your child blind. He wouldn't do that. Right? But for us to say that, what are we doing here? Right? We're, we're giving up that God is in control. Right? We dare not do that. Now, we're going to follow through here, but, but we need to see this very clearly. God is not just in control of our abilities, but also our disabilities. Okay? The next one, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39. Mike, the report? Life and death is in the hands of God. Not chance or fate. It's not our genes. Not just those things, but ultimately it's God. He's numbered our days. Do you know anything about that, Mike? (laughs) All too familiar with it, right? But But the joy should be, as we come here, what we're seeing is it's not by chance or fate or happenstance, but by God. And we dare not give those things up to the world and just say, oh no, 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 God can't be a part of that because we don't like it or it may be hard. Okay? Job 37, verses 5 to 13. Who's reading? Oh, okay, who's reading and who's... Okay. Read loud, Beatrice. Karen, what's the report? Guards in charge of and sovereignly controlling what? The earth. The earth and? The weather. The weather. Right? Almost all these things we're talking about the weather. Right? The earth's weather. Right? Not chance or happenstance or a high or a low or just those things, but he purposes them, each of them, where they go. And so, indeed, whether the hurricane hits your town or another, or the tornado, or the drought, or the, or the flood, or the sun, or the gentle spring rains, God has purposed them all to go where they would for his purposes. He is in control of those things. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 to 7. Isaiah chapter 40. That's right, okay. 
Cork, Anthony. Those things that we call the good providence of God, the blessings, he certainly brings. We like to recognize that, but it also says that he brings, it depends on your translation, the disasters or the calamities. Right? And so we're going to these scriptures to see all these things because most of us would say, I believe in the sovereignty of God. He's in control of all things. But when it actually comes to the outworking of these things, we think that we need to give God some kind of an out. Because he would really be a bad guy if he's controlling all those things. Right? They want to make a way out for God so that we can say everything just has to be easy or nice. Alright, let's continue in the scriptures. Romans chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 18. chooses who will be saved. Alright? Chosen to be saved. Right? So we have gone the gamut. We There are a lot more scriptures in the Bible that talk about different areas. But we have talked about that God who is sovereign and in control not only gives abilities, He gives disabilities. He not only gives life, He is in charge of death. He not only gives the sunshine and clouds, but He brings the tornadoes and the hurricanes. He not only brings good times of blessing, but He also brings those horrific times of calamity. He not only brings salvation, but He also refuses to change the hearts of some that they would experience His justice for all eternity. we look at this doctrine of sovereignty of God only by itself, it is hard for us to deal with. And so we're going to transition into, slowly, but we're going to make a transition here and also seeing that all of these things are ultimately good. And good for us. 
But first, we need to see that by looking at what God was willing to do Himself. So let's turn to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 2, and then chapter 4, book of Acts. Here we have uh, first Peter preaching on the day in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, and then the disciples are together praying. But the same truth comes out. Who killed Jesus? The Jews, right? They crucified him. Right? The Pharisees and, and Pilate was a part of that. And if you and I were there, we would have been part of the crowd, either killing Christ or running the way his disciples did. Right? So he was killed by lawless men. But God is going to be very clear here that if he is indeed sovereign in control of everything, you know, we see who ultimately was willing to kill his son that we might be saved. So Acts chapter 2 and 23, let's look there together. Together, Peter's preaching here. He says this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yes, there was the secondary causes of men who didn't have to have to be pushed to do this. They wanted to do it. They were lawless, sinful men who hated the righteous one. And so they freely killed him. They wanted to do that. But we find out from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, that God was pleased to crush his son. It was portrayed and prophesied thousands of years earlier that to save men, God had purposed and ordained that evil, sinful men would do exactly what their hearts desired to do in killing Jesus. Then Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, we see it brought up for us again and brought before us. As they're praying together, it says, For truly in this city, Acts 4, 27 and 28, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do, and they're praying to God, to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. So we see here in all of the hardest, what we would say is the, the most horrific death in all the world, the only one who only died as a true innocent, the Lord Jesus Christ. God in His control and His sovereignty purposed it that indeed some would be saved. We begin to see God's goodness and love here portrayed and we can begin to understand that He was working and has been working all history to that point uh, to save sinners whom He would place His love upon. But it's this whole picture of beginning to understand that God's good to His children through Christ and continues that allows us to deal with the good and the bad in life. To, to always understand for us who are in Christ that it's always through this lens that God was willing to give that which was most near and dear to Him, His only beloved perfect Son, for us 
that we see all of life happening, that God is purposing good for us. Not only that He shows us that in Christ, but He has promised that. Some of the saints in the past have been able to see that. I want someone to give me a quick thumbnail biography of Joseph, but tell us some of the horrible things that happened to Joseph. Anybody willing to give that quick biography? Michael, Joseph was? A son of uh, Israel, a favorite son, uh, spoiled, and raised him, uh, spoiled his brothers. His brothers did? They hated him, and they uh, actually considered to kill him. But uh, one of the brothers just tried to save his life, and he decided to they sold him into captivity. In captivity, he worked for Potiphar and... He was accused of adultery unjustly. He actually tried to run from Potiphar. He goes into prison. He's into prison. And while he's in prison, he has dreams. And what happens to the baker? Uh, the baker is the one who was... Okay. What happens to the baker? And the other one is? The cupbearer. What happens to the cupbearer? He is freed by Joseph's dream. And what then happens to Joseph? He's left in jail, right? He gets stunk, right? Then, okay. So if you look at Joseph's life, this is till like he's 30 years old long time of just thing after thing after thing. But we know that in God's providence he becomes the second in command in Egypt by interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and his brothers who had done him dirty now come back and you know I can just imagine being Joseph I can get these guys now but that's not his response. Let's turn to Isaiah 45 because he has a different outlook and trust the sovereignty and seize the sovereignty of God. Genesis chapter 45. This is when he comes back and his brothers now recognize who he is. Genesis 45, follow along as I read verses, verses 4 to 8. This is important for you to see. This is what Joseph saw. This is what gave Joseph hope in all of life. Genesis 45, 48. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God has sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there's been or yet five years in which there'll be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on the earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And most of us know the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. It's Genesis chapter 5, excuse me, 50 and verse 20. 
Remember, Joseph was now able, if he wanted to take revenge on his brothers completely at the death of his father, and they were afraid. And Genesis 50.20 says this, As for you, you indeed meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We don't always get that picture. God in His grace and providence showed how He was working good in Joseph's life. If you were waiting those years, however long they were, being sold into slavery, being false accused, being in a dungeon, your tendency would be to say, God hates me. He can't be doing good. But God in His kindness and providence showed that. And we are told in the New Testament also very clearly of God's purpose, good work in our life. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Yes. God's good is very different than when you said, you know, what when God has brought good or bad. I think what that well that's not really good. We're gonna... God's good is his purpose, uh-huh. his plan. That's where we're going. For us we mean comfort right. and ease and not being sick and all of those. And the the definition is going to come right now. It's in the scripture. Perfect. Good job. Because when we think of of good, right? Remember, God being in charge of the the abilities and disabilities. Good is the abilities. Right? We think, God, if you're going to be good, you have to give me all these abilities and no disabilities. Right? God, if you're good, you give me all times of blessing and no calamity. God, if you're good, you give me all sunshine and no storms. God, if you're good, you only save my family and none of them are lost. God, if you are good, I get a new car. And don't have to have an old junker. We know what we define as good. But indeed, what our sister just brought up here, we have to understand that God's definition of goodness is not how we define goodness. There are a lot of preachers out there that will say that God is good, and what he means by that is you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But because God is good, you deserve to be blessed, and that you will have a big new car and a big new house and all the blessings of life. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the verse we know about God's goodness, is impossible to know and understand without the connection to verse 29, where God will define what good is in this case. Genesis chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God... Now, very interesting understanding. If you're not in Christ, God indeed may not be good to you. Ultimately. Because you're not going to heaven. You're not going to experience His eternal favor. He, he allows sunshine and rain. He allows life. He, he might allow possessions. And, uh, and some of the things we call the good things in life... 
But God's purpose of goodness is laid out for us here. It's different. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, for the Christian, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now we get the word for. It's connected to verse 28. It's telling us what good is. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's good purpose in all of life is, the good thing is to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ, who was holy, harmless, and undefiled. That's God's purpose in our lives. God's purpose in your life is not to make you happy. Do you hear that? It's to make you holy. And holy will make you happy God's way, but we want to be happy the way of the world. I want more of this. I want no problems here. That's not God's purpose in your life. And if you believe that, you've believed the lie of the world. He's not, his purpose is not to add more things to your wish list, your bank account. He may do that. He blesses some with a lot and some with less. But that's not the purpose of everything He's doing in your life. The purpose of everything He's doing in your life is not to make you happy the world's way, but to make you holy and like His Son, Jesus Christ. And because He loves you and loves you like His Son, He wants you to be like His Son who found His food in his doing His Father's will who found his joy in his father's smile. And so what the sovereignty of God allows us to do is understand that God is working good in all of our lives. Now, we have a few minutes, and I want to take a few minutes before I read the last couple things, is to talk about in your life, if you've begun to get this understanding of the sovereignty of God and that He is working good in all things, how does that affect you in dealing with all of life? The blessings and the calamities. What is your testimony to that? Do you have it? Would you share it? Done? I would say that the understanding of God's sovereignty and how He ordains all that happens in my life for His purposes and for my good, He defines good, allows me to accept what comes and never be angry at God. You know, a lot of people struggle with anger at God. Why did I get sick? Why did this thing happen? Why did I not get this promotion? Why did I get in this car? But I feel very blessed that I've not ever felt anger towards God. I might have questioned Him and prayed for wisdom and understanding about what it is that He has for me in the circumstance. But I don't shake my fist at Him because I know and understand that even if I don't understand the fullness of the circumstance, I understand that it's come from Him. And that he, as he says elsewhere in scripture, will provide a way for me through these waters, whether they're deep or shallow. Mm. So 
so not being angry at God is, is a great, great blessing that we get from the proper understanding of the sovereignty of God. Um, we don't have time right now, um, but Doug and Pat are both willing, I know, because I've talked to them before. You might not know that um, years ago I had a horrific car accident that Doug and his one daughter Linda were in, uh, where she almost lost her life, thought she would be paralyzed and many other things. And uh, the reason Doug's not just saying that, and Pat wouldn't just say it, that they've seen God work His goodness in the midst of all that. And I, if you've never asked them about that, I'm, I think they, for God's glory, they would be willing to tell you that story. And uh, and uh, and so it's not just easy or cold that they would say that, but they've experienced that in in life. Anybody else want to talk about this God's sovereignty and how it's uh, helped you in the midst of difficulties? Mike? Mike, as you and I have talked when I visited, uh, you know, you've always come back, and we come back to the, that Christ has loved you and given himself for you, and that you were able to look at your pancreatic cancer through that lens, that you know he loves you, and you're not sure what he's doing with all this but you have that ultimate lens of God's goodness and His sovereignty and can trust that and, and have been during the time. So that's, that's been a joy. Anyone else? Tell me. Uh, sure, so, uh, Mark? I'm going to end by telling you a story from the past and one from last week. Uh, the story from the past 
has to do with one of my heroes. He's a, actually a southern general. I've read a lot of his biographies on Stonewall Jackson. Um, but he was a Christian general. And uh, yeah, the South wasn't perfect. None of us are. Actually, slavery wasn't brought into the mix of the Civil War as an issue until about halfway through. It had to do with states' rights, um, something we're battling even today. But he was a Christian general who, um, with the slaves that he actually owned, which uh, he had given remission to at one point, um, but he started a Sunday school. And his Sunday school was to open the Bible, but also teach them to read. And... Um, teach, this, teach the, the black people in the South to read. And his church says, you can't do that. And he says, I will do it or I won't be a part of the church. And so he was battling the system he was in. But he was, uh, halfway through the Civil War, he was shot by friendly fire. <laughs> his own men on a night patrol. And uh, he had just had his arm amputated. Um, after being shot, and it's a few days before his death, but as a Christian who believed in the sovereignty of God, this was his response when he asked how he was doing. He said this, You may see me severely wounded, but not depressed, not unhappy. I believe it's been done according to God's holy will, and I acquiesce entirely to it. You may think it's strange, but you never saw me more perfectly contented than I am today. For I am sure that my Heavenly Father designs this affliction for my good. I am perfectly satisfied that either in this life or in the one which is to come, I shall discover what is now regarded as a calamity, as a blessing. And it's because he understood the sovereignty of God, but he also understood that that sovereignty wasn't a mean, cold sovereignty, but he understood it as orchestrated through the cross of Christ. He knew that as God's child, he was loved and God was working good. And then last week, we got an email from um, some friends of ours, uh, a medical doctor, Stephen Martin and uh, his wife, Laura. They've just gone to China. They have uh, four little children and one on the way. And uh, this is describing their first two weeks in China. We've been here for two weeks. God's goodness has been present, present, and what they're doing there, they've gone to serve in an orphanage um, to do surgeries and medical care at this uh, Chinese orphanage that uh, the children are often just left uh, by themselves with very little, and they've gone to serve widows and orphans there. He says, God's goodness has been present in the midst of my vestibular neuritis. That is what's kept me on my back for 24 hours yesterday. Fortunately, I feel much better. It is a problem of the inner ear, and it's nerve that can occur after a viral illness. I had a mild runny nose and a cough two days before in the middle of Tuesday night when I turned over in my sleep and I awakened by extreme vertigo. The room was spinning. I was vomiting uncontrollably. There was little relief. When the morning came, I still couldn't turn my head more than 10 degrees in any direction, direction without the symptoms returning. It is similar to labyrinthitis, except without hearing loss. I literally had to be still before the Lord and wait for Him. Also in the psalm is the admonition, Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. And that was true in my case yesterday. 
how easy it is to fret, to pretend he's not in control. He knows our steps. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. He knows that I was going to be ill and that I would respond much like Jonah did when the worm attacked his shade. Yet he gave comfort and unconditional love in many ways. I know that he's been with me and loved me every moment. And I trust his love for me more now even more. I want to end by passing uh, out to this handout. And Mike, if you'd do this side, and Bill, if you'd do this side. I guess I need to keep one. Thanks. Some of you might have both sides and some not. What I have on here are scriptures. This might be something that if you struggle with God's sovereignty or need courage, it's a scripture that has verses of God's sovereignty on it. But also on the one side is a prayer that we're going to end with. And it's a prayer from the Puritan prayer book, Valley of Vision. And it's one that talks about God's sovereignty. It's a prayer uh, having to do with the sovereignty of God. If there's not enough, you might have to share as couples. I'm sorry if I didn't uh, make enough. But um, if you'd take a moment and... Uh, And here's one more. Anybody need one? One more left. And there's another one. Okay. Oh, we got enough. Good. Luke, if I haven't answered your question, we'll come back to it. I think it had to do with it. With um, uh, it was dealt with with the um, crucifixion of Christ. Right? Evil men wanted to do that, and yet. And they did it freely of their own evil hearts, and yet God had planned from the beginning of time um, for that to happen. Um, If you're a struggler with God's sovereignty, you're not the only one. Okay, just because we've presented this today and we've said that it's good for His children, we're frail. There'll be times when we deal with life and we get sinned against, right? Some of you have been severely sinned against in your life and and you're hurting over that and it's hard to work all that out. I'd love to talk with you about that and and, uh, bring you home with the scriptures and and help work through it. It's not easy. Um, One one book that's helpful in just dealing with it in that kind of nature is this book called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. Uh, I recommend it highly. I have this copy that I will gladly give to anybody today. So just talk to me afterwards. This, this will be your book. And uh, if more than one person talks to me, I would be glad to get that book for you. It would be my pleasure to hand you that book and then talk about it with you. Well, let's end by uh, praying to you follow along as I read this last prayer, talking about God's sovereignty. Sovereign commander of the universe, I am sadly harassed by doubts and fears and unbelief and a felt spiritual darkness. My heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at all. 
My heavenly pilot has disappeared and I have lost my hold in the rock of ages. I sink into deep mire beneath storms and waves in horror and distress unutterable. Help me, O Lord, to throw myself absolutely and wholly on Thee for better and for worse, without comfort and all but hopeless. Give me peace of soul, confidence, enlargement of mind, morning of joy that comes after the night of heaviness. Water my soul richly with divine blessings. Grant that I might become, I might welcome thy humblings in private so that I might enjoy thee in public. Give me a mountaintop as high as the valley is low. Thy grace can melt the worst sinner, and I am as vile as he. Yet thou hast made me a monument of mercy, a trophy of redeeming power. In my distress, let me not forget this. All wise God, thy never failing providence, orders every event, sweetens every fear, reveals evil presence lurking and seeming good. Bring real good out of the seeming evil. Makes unsatisfactory what I set my heart upon to show me what a short-sighted creature I am and then teach me to live by faith upon thy blessed self. Out of my sorrow and night, give me thy name Naphtali, satisfied with favor. Help me to love thee as thy child and to walk worthy of my heavenly pedigree. O God, would you be kind to allow us to look at life through your goodness. You had purposed from all time to give your blessed and holy Son, Jesus. We would be pleased for you to crush him, that we might know you in life forever. Amen. I'll be walking around getting my coffee and little snack, and if you like the book, it can be yours. Just ask me. It would be my pleasure. If I don't have another one, I'll order one for you. Hello. Ooh, cookies, cookies, cookies.